The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Berquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling, and healthiest life. Today, we're going to talk about sustainability. We're going to talk specifically about what it means, why it's important, and how we can help people connect the health of our environment to the health of people. I'm joined by Kelly Weisinger, who's the assistant director um, here at Emory of our sustainability efforts. Um, She's an Atlanta native. Kelly joined Emory in 2012 as sustainability program coordinator, and as the goals and programs of office grew, was named assistant director in 2015. She conducts faculty and staff outreach and engagement and works with all of Emory's university and healthcare departments to improve operations, reduce environmental impact, and create dialogue around sustainability issues. She works to green the supply chain across the university, including ensuring sustainability is factored into supplier contracts and analyzes Emory's carbon footprint to implement strategies toward climate action goals. Previously, Kelly spent two years working in transportation and sustainability with the Midtown Alliance in Atlanta. She earned a Master in Environmental Law and Policy from Vermont Law School in 2009 while working full-time as Assistant Director of Admissions for the law school. She earned a Bachelor of Arts in Environmental Studies and Anthropology from Connecticut College and serves on the Lovett School Sustainability Advisory Board, the College Heights Early Childhood Learning Center Advisory Board, and the City Schools of Decatur Operations Advisory Committee. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. I'm really excited to talk about the topic of sustainability because it's a term that I think is being used increasingly. But I want to start by having you explain the term specifically as it applies to environmental sustainability. Absolutely. This is a fun question. Um, I'm normally the person who asks this question. <laughs> um, whenever we interview student interns, we ask them to define sustainability and talk about what sustainability means to them. So it's really fun to hear their individual responses. And I really think that's part of what makes sustainability so unique and fun is that while there is a well-understood international definition that brings us all together, it really is uniquely individual. Everyone has different entry points into what interests them about sustainability. Um, So really broadly, sustainability means um, ensuring that we currently on the planet have enough resources uh, that the planet provides for us to use to have high quality of life while not compromising the ability for future generations to have the same access to those resources. So not using too much, using what we need in a way that benefits ourselves and our planet now, but doesn't take away from our kids and grandkids and great-grandchildren's ability to also live on a thriving planet In terms of what that means for a person, it could be that we make different personal choices that still benefit us but are also um, conscious of the impact on our resources and the planet that provides them to us. 
Um, and in terms of institutions like Emory or other big um, impactful institutions, it means a big picture look at how we as a system are interacting with our environment and um, with how the choices that we're making as an institution or a system, um, whether or not they are solely benefiting, you know, us and our bottom line, or if we're actually contributing to the positive health and well-being of people on the planet. And sustainability typically has talked about um, with three sort of overlapping focus areas. Um, there's the three Ps, which have been dubbed people, planet, and profit. Um, and so we look at where um, decisions or um, programs benefit all three of those things, where society, a healthy society and a healthy environment intersect and also a healthy economy intersect. It's where this, that sweet spot happens. If something is good for the planet, but it doesn't, it, it's bad for the economy and bad for people, it's not sustainable. Um, similarly, if something's really good for the economy but not good for people on the planet, it's not sustainable. So we really look for that that sweet spot. Now, frankly, um, that way of looking at things is a little bit two-dimensional. Um, and with the release of the 2018 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, excuse me, 2016 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, we've seen a little bit more of a three-dimensional perspective on sustainability. And if you look at their goals, um, really it becomes more like a wedding cake um, image. So the foundation of sustainable development is a healthy planet. So all of the sustainable development goals that relate to a healthy planet, like life on land, water, um, healthy air, those kind of things are essential in order to have the next layer of the wedding cake, which is a healthy society. Um, without that healthy planet, you wouldn't have a healthy society. And then healthy society, sustainable development goals look like things like no poverty and zero hunger and good health and well-being. Um, and then the next tier of that cake is a healthy economy. Because without a healthy planet and without a healthy society, you can't have a healthy economy. Um, and then going intersecting all of those is uh, peace and partnership. So that's sort of the more three-dimensional look of, uh, of sustainability that we've more recently started to look at as opposed to sort of the three-legged stool of the three Ps. You know, it's such a big topic. And, you know, as an individual, you know, I think we all really share in this goal of wanting to leave the planet as vibrant when we leave it as when we enter this world, how can I as an individual get a sense of where I am in that spectrum? You know, I think as an institution, most organizations and companies can measure you know, their carbon footprint, their, you know, greenhouse emissions, etc. As an individual in a household, how can I get a sense of where am I in the spectrum? Am I doing enough? Am I on net 
you know, making the environment a better place or am I making this environment less healthy? Mm-hmm. Like what are ways I can get a sense of where I am on that spectrum? That's a great question. Um, it, you know, there isn't really this magic test, you know, that you yeah. can sort of, you know, take a blood sample and see um, how you rate or rank. There are a number of um tools out there that help you think about your lifestyle and what you do on a day-to-day basis. And, um, you know, we actually have a pledge on the Office of Sustainability Initiatives website, which is pretty lengthy, but it's that way because it gives you a really comprehensive look at everything you do in your day, Um, morning, evening, night, has some sort of sustainability impact, benefit or not. Um, and there are there are so many ways that a person could um, evaluate themselves, but really what I the way I like to look at it is um, is is just like a menu of options and choices. So every single day we're making choices. and every single moment of every day we make a choice, you know, Um, Do I eat this food or this food? Do I park my car and walk or do I drive the whole way? Do I ride my, you know, walk my kids to school or drive them to school? Do I, um, you know, leave my computer on and running and plugged in or not? So we're always making these big decisions and, and, and micro decisions every day. And it's really just a matter of, being informed and learning and having an open mind to um, what impacts our decisions have and those choices that we make. And also that perhaps if we change something slightly, um, we might have a, a, make a real difference um, in planetary health and sustainability. And um that collectively, all of those micro decisions that billions of people could make billions of times a day could actually really make a big difference. Um, so, you know, some of the bigger, there are some really big impact ways that on a day-to-day basis we do impact sustainability. So the, the food we eat, um, the transportation we use, and the energy we consume um, those are really the, the top three ways that on a day-to-day basis we, we inter- interact with sustainable behaviors or unsustainable behaviors or somewhere in between. You know, and those are three wonderful topics because they also tie into human health. Right? So mm-hmm. it's healthy for the planet. It's healthy for us. So there's perfect alignment between why we should think about these micro and macro choices. Let's start talking about food. So how does what does sustainability look like as it applies to food? Mm. So um, food. Um, There are so many choices we make about food, and um, there are so many ways that food is 
impactful. Um, I keep I know I keep saying that word, but I'm trying to um, just be broad because um, you know an impact can be positive and an impact can be negative. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the type of food we eat um, all has implications for human health and the environment and the economy. Um, the amount of food that we eat <laughs> has implications um, for those things and for our physical wellness. Um, the way that food is grown or manufactured or produced has implications. The way that food is transported has implications. So um, there are a lot of resources that go into the food we eat. Um, It has to be grown and all the resources that go into that, the water and the um, fertilizer and the herbicides and the pesticides, um, the harvesting of the food, the uh, preparation of it, the refrigeration of it, the transportation of it, the delivery of it. And then when you or I go to the grocery store or the farmer's market and purchase it, um, it, you know, there's, there's, we don't always consume it all. There's food left on the shelf at the grocery store that doesn't get purchased and eaten before it um, goes bad. And there's food in our own refrigerators or in our cupboards that don't get eaten. So there's a lot of waste involved Mm -hmm. with food as well. Um, And so it really is this this food is a very big um, area of sustainability. There's a lot of different experts out there that really narrowly focus on every single one of these aspects. And um, here at Emory, we're really lucky to have some sustainable food ex- experts on campus. And we really have developed a strategy around sustainable food that we think hits all the big areas. Um, and we, we are targeting um, not only the more sustainable and local purchasing of food for Emory, but the the generation of a sustainable food economy here in Georgia. Um, so it's it's not always possible to acquire the amount of food that we need f- to f- to feed all of the people at Emory's facilities in a local or sustainable way. Um, so we've we're trying to set up the systems and help do our part to prepare um, the system so that more food can be grown in a, in a local sustainable way. And so, you know, um, sustainable food means a variety of things. There are lots of different certifications out there for sustainable food, but it really means using um, less resources to grow more food and, um, and, and certifying food um, so that it's grown without the use of harmful chemicals and pesticides and herbicides as much as possible. Um, and then local, um, the distance of the food is, is another big impact. So local food has to travel less distance and it also supports our local economy the more that we can purchase local food. Um, so on a day-to-day basis as an individual, uh, we can look for food that has been grown locally um, and support our 
local farmers, both in the grocery store and at farmers markets, or when you go to a restaurant or a cafeteria, you can ask. You know, we we can ask for local food, and many um, of the farm to table movement restaurants are really great about advertising it. So, um, choosing to um, to patron those places is a way that we can eat more sustainably. Um, and then um, really uh, knowing the big, um, the top 10 items that use the most resources that you might not have the budget to be able to go out and buy organic everything. But if you know the top 10 items, you could you know, choose them if they're on your grocery list. Um, and there's a wonderful organization here in Georgia called Georgia Organics. They have really great information about that. And um, uh, I actually have a little pocket guide that I keep in my wallet um, that helps remind me which of those top 10 foods are. Like my children love apples. And so I always buy organic apples because they're in, they're in the, the dirty dozen <laughs> um, or the top 10 and strawberries. Um, but it's not necessarily um, essential to buy organic potatoes um, because the, of the way that the potatoes uptake nutrients. They can handle some amount of, you know, chemical additives. So it's really interesting. There's a lot of science behind it, and um, we could talk about it for hours. It really is, you know, just listening to you mention all the different ways sustainability and food intersect. You know, there seem to be a lot of initiatives at an organizational level and then things that consumers as individuals can do to um, not only benefit their own health, but to benefit their local environment. Mm -hmm. I want to talk more about some of the initiatives that are ongoing here at Emory, a lot of them that you're very intimately involved in. Um, Can you... Just talk about how this has been put into practice within Mm -hmm. this institution. Absolutely, yeah. So um, for a long time, Emory has had uh, sustainable and local food purchasing goals. Um, So our goal is that 75% of the food that we buy at Emory be local or sustainable. And there's a lot of very specific criteria that meet the local or sustainable definition according to Emory's experts. Um, So on a day-to-day basis, Emory's retail dining facilities and, you know, in our hospitals and in our university buildings are helping to work toward that. Um, One thing that I mentioned that we've, we've run across is that it's challenging to find local and sustainable food at the volumes that we need to serve our patients and our visitors and our faculty, staff, and students. So um, one really amazing initiative that we just are proud to announce is that um, we now have a memorandum of understanding with the Conservation Fund to work um, to be a part of their Working Farms Fund. And their goal is twofold. It's to conserve or preserve land um, from development and to provide better access to farmers who want to farm but may not have the capital or the resources to start farming. That's a really big barrier to um, especially young farmers who don't have a lot of you know, accrued um, income. And farming is an aging population, so we really need to get young farmers involved. And so 
Um, what Emory has done is we've agreed to uh, participate. We are participating in this Working Farms Fund where we have said um, if farms are established within a 100-mile radius of Emory local um, and they grow their food in a sustainable way according to our criteria, um, we will commit to purchasing their produce um, from them or their products from them. And so that way they can use that as um, a, a collateral to go to the bank and get financing and say, I already have someone who's committed to purchasing my product. Now I need some um, financing to buy this land and start farming it. And then the Working Farms Fund puts that land into a trust so it will never be developed. It will always remain as farmland. So in that way, we're building the local food economy here in Georgia, and we're ensuring that we get our um, we get to inch toward our 75% local and sustainable food goals. Now that sounds like an amazing partnership. Um, you know, I'm sure are there other examples or ongoing initiatives? Yeah, um, the other another initiative that we are. Um, working on is really education. Uh, we, we do a lot of education on um, on our campuses to the people who are eating the food. Um, and so we've done a lot of education on plant-based food and how that is better for your health and also better for the planet. Um, and so things like Meatless Mondays we've um, had ongoing, but now we really just incorporate meatless options into every day. Um, we also support educational food gardens on campus. We have, I think, 12 of them now. Um, and those are in prominent locations of the Clifton Road campus. We also have one on the um, Claremont campus. And then we have some hospital food gardens where food is grown by volunteers and um, we have a gardener that supports that program and helps educate folks on how to grow food and just getting their hands in the soil and learning about where food comes from and how easy or difficult it is to grow it and how it tastes when you pick it fresh off the vine or fresh out of the ground. Um, and then volunteers get to take that home, except actually at our health care, our hospital locations, the food grown there is used in patient meals. And what's fun is that the chefs at these hospitals are so excited about the muscadine grapes that they grow and put into sauces or vinaigrettes or um, desserts that they showcase them and communicate about them to patients and visitors mm -hmm. and they hear the feedback from patients that say um, it's it's been really fun to to learn about the food that Emory's growing and giving to us and they even have given given stories where you know patients who are repeat patients have said are the tomatoes ripe yet am I going to get tomatoes in my salad or am I going to get a tomato bisque today from Emory Emory Healthcare's hospital gardens. Wow, it's really impressive to be able to accomplish so much. And so it seems like with the educational components that it's been really well received. Definitely. People are so interested in um, 
feeding themselves, but also knowing that somebody has put time and care into growing the food specifically for them that is nutritious and going to contribute to their health and well-being and their healing. Um, and it really is a way that um, it's a great entry point towards sustainability. So a lot of our students come to us and say, I, I'm interested in sustainable food. I want to be a farmer <laughs> or I want to um, – uh, you know, promote farmers markets or, um, you know, help more healthy diets um, in some way in my future and my career. And, and we find that it's a really good entry way into all of the aspects of sustainability because it incorporates so much and incorporates transportation and incorporates, you know, energy and water consumption. It incorporates health and well-being and, and medicine. Um, so, it's one way that people um, gravitate toward our work, but then they oftentimes end up leaving Emory um, with a much broader understanding of sustainability because of the initial interest in food. Absolutely. And, you know, food is something we can all relate to three times a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, right? right. So it's such an active decision that we're making. Um, and I think we all want to kind of nurture ourselves and the people we love. So, um, you know, it's nice when, like you said, the things that we do that help us help the environment because it's such a win-win. You know, you'd mentioned food transportation and energy. Um, what are some initiatives around transportation? Yes, um, You'll recall that in my bio, I said that when I moved back to Atlanta after leaving to get um, my higher education, I moved back and started working in the field of transportation. And I did that because when growing up in Atlanta, I got really frustrated by (laughs) transportation. And I mean, I was one of those people as a child and a teenager um, and a young adult that was, I think, negatively impacted by the stress of um, commuting in a car for so much of my life. Um, It wasn't all bad, obviously, but um, it really made a big impact on my psyche and my um, interest in moving back to Atlanta because I was really nervous about entering that world again. And we all complain about the traffic in Atlanta. We all, some of us accept it better than others, but um, it really is a great um, intersection between health and wellness and sustainability. Um, So, you know, driving in a car by yourself um, has a big sustainability environmental impact. You know, we primarily burn fossil fuels for the fuel to run our cars. Um, and those fossil fuels are extracted from the earth. And the processing and, and manufacturing and burning of those fossil fuels um, create public health um, um, impacts. So um, the burning of coal in our coal-fired power plants directly impacts asthma rates, um, for example. And the emissions coming out of the tailpipes of cars um, directly impact especially vulnerable populations, um, children and, 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 and elderly and um, 
people with vulnerable immune systems. So the less that we can emit those things out of the tailpipe, um, the healthier our communities will be. So um, that has the added benefit of relieving congestion. And what is it? what happens when we're all sitting in our cars on Clifton Road or on the connector and we just want to get home or we need to go pick up our kids from child care or we um, have something, you know, fun that we're trying to go do, but we're sitting in traffic. Our, you know, you know more about this than I do, but <laughs> the physiological response is not healthy typically. Right. Um, so the stress (laughs) of traffic, um, really has impacted a lot of people. And that's what I started working in when I first moved back to Atlanta. And that's a lot of the work that I did was the, the communications, um, bite that really got people to pay attention was you are so stressed out when you're driving in your car in traffic. Let's try let's let's try to create some alternatives here some more sustainable commute options and i was really working with employers um i did you know there there's a whole lot of work you can do with employees or individuals to help them find a more sustainable commute option but really um when an employer can provide resources for its employees to participate in sustainable commute options. They are, they are investing in a workforce that is healthier and happier, more resilient, and able to um, stay at their job because they have, no matter what the circumstances in their life, they have a way to get to and from work. Um, so Emory is a challenging place to get to um, unless, you know, both in a car and out of a car. Um, so what we've done is progressively work to make it a, a place where there are more options to come to, to and from Emory. Um, so we don't have great public transit access here. We have a bus, a MARTA bus system, one MARTA bus route comes through campus here on Clifton Road, um, but Emory has invested in shuttles that can take people to and from um, into integral um, park and ride locations outside of our campus, and then also shuttles to get us around campus and to and from some of our facilities so that one doesn't have to get in their car and drive. Um, One really exciting initiative that is new is that, um, well, it's it's a new partnership with the PATH Foundation where we are creating, we've designed and we are building a network of bicycle and pedestrian pathways, um, both through campus and connecting to existing PATH trails outside of campus. So some segments have already been completed. on the um, sort of eastern portion of the Clifton Road campus connecting to the path trails over in the Mason Woods neighborhood. So people can now bike or walk from that area of town and get onto Emory's campus. And then we're continuing that path through campus and connecting um, on the other side of campus to path trails and getting people closer to the city of Atlanta. And the idea is that at s- eventually s- 
patients, visitors, students, faculty, and staff don't have to get in their cars in order to get to and from Emory's facilities and between them. So we'd love to, con- to create this web and connect Executive Park and Emory University Hospital Midtown and the university campus and all of our buildings in the metro area with um, bike and pedestrian trails. And doing that also encourages people to be active and get outside and um, get natural daylight and hopefully breathe cleaner air because we won't have so many tailpipe emissions. Um, so it's a it's another way that um, sustainability is interconnected with um, the health of the planet and also I, th- I would say with society because there's a really big equity component to, to all of what we're talking about. But transportation is a big one and if you don't have access to transportation, you don't have the same access to resources. Right? There's not equitable access to health care. Um, if you don't have access to a car, there's not equitable access to jobs. Um, you know, Emory is the largest employer in the, in the metro Atlanta area, and we really um, need to be able to provide every single one of our employees with a way to get to and from work, no matter what their socioeconomic situation is. Yeah, Kelly, you know, I know the initiatives and programs you discussed are, you know, a small subset of the many initiatives and programs. And it's so impressive that these programs are so huge and so impactful and that there's so much that you and Emory are doing uh, to, you know, for awareness and for changing patterns and, and behaviors people do. You know, in the beginning, you mentioned, you know, our goal with sustainability is to, uh, you know, kind of leave the planet same, or if not better. Um, how are we doing, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. here as a community, as a nation, globally? Um, are we doing okay? Do we need to be doing more? And if we need to be doing more, what are things that we each as individuals can and should be doing? Mm. Great question. We really need to be changing our cultural mindset um, to include these um, questions and issues in our everyday um, in our everyday transactions and decision making so um, you know there's a lot of different opinions out there so I'm trying to be um, careful but really what we look to is science and and you know the science says that um, as a planet we need to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions significantly in order to maintain a healthy planet and society and economy it's not just about it's not just about the environment at this point. It really is about all of those things that we've talked about today being interconnected. So unless we, um, unless we prevent the planet from warming, um, we will start to see some really big impacts to the environment, 
and to our health and well-being in society and to the economy. So we really, I would say the answer to your question is I, th- is I think we need to be doing more. And most scientists also agree. Most climate scientists um, agree that we need to be doing more. So um, now, um, as an individual, it, it feels really overwhelming. When you read um, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC report, it feels very overwhelming. That report outlines exactly what is going to happen if we allow the planet to continue to warm and what exactly we need to do to prevent or to to keep it in a manageable temperature range. Um, Even though they've outlined it very specifically, it's very overwhelming. What can I do as an individual? There's no way I can influence that. There's no way that I can you know, this is the mindset that people get in when they're overwhelmed. They think, I nothing I do is going to help. But that is also um, a mindset that can lead to, you know, um, unhealthy mental health, um, you know, and well-being. So, and, and it's really not true. The collective impact of all of our decisions is actually what got us here, even though there are some really big players that need to be better actors, our individual collective impact is also a big piece of the the puzzle. Um, So um, going off of some of the things that we've talked about today, um, we, we can think about the food that we eat and how much of it we eat and how much of it goes to waste. We didn't talk too much about food waste, but food waste is a big, um, problem because when you throw food away what does it do it goes into your trash can and then it gets transported to a landfill which is a big pile of trash and then it sits there and it rots over time and as things rot over time they generate gas emissions that are emitted into the atmosphere And, and methane comes from landfills and that's one of the most potent greenhouse gas gases that causes global warming. So wasting food causes global warming. So the less food that we can put in our trash cans, um, that's a way that we can positively um, contribute to a climate solution. And um, that's really what what we are trying to um, advocate is that we can all be part of a solution. It doesn't have to feel um, scary or burdensome or like there's no hope. Um, there are solutions out there and we can all, um, contribute to them. So reducing our food waste is one way. Um, choosing sustainable commute options, even if it's just once a week, even if it's once a week, you walk someplace that you normally would drive to, um, or try, um, riding a bike someplace that you would normally drive to and just baby steps. Um, And sometimes I even have to remind myself, you know, that I can walk to my child's school um, to volunteer instead of driving there. Um, And that has a big impact. And then another way is energy. Energy is also tied to carbon emissions. And every time we um, 
turn on a light, turn on a device, use something electronic. Even every time we um, turn on the faucet or flush the toilet or take a shower, there is energy consumption involved with that. So there's this nexus between energy use and water use. It requires energy to use water. Um, And, you know, water has to be transported long distances in our urban environment in order for us to be able to use it. Um, And then once we flush it or we're finished with it, it gets transported back to our water treatment facility. And lots of energy is used in treating that water and then sending it back to our homes. So water and energy use are are, um, intersected. So the the more we can sort of think about the excess energy and water we use, um, the more we're contributing to climate solutions. Um, And, you know, you don't have to have this really brilliant technology like we do with the Water Hub at Emory, which is a on-site water reclamation facility. Um, You know, we're doing that because we're a big institution and we're a big water user. And instead of transporting our water back and forth, we're processing it on-site using microorganisms. Um, And then we're reusing that water um, for non-potable resources. But that is not an option that's available everywhere. And so doing our part to say, okay, well, I'm going to try to consume less water in my home, but then I'm also going to explore how my community might be able to um, scale up our efforts. Um, there are really cool solutions and technology out there that haven't even been discovered yet and haven't been implemented on a, on a wide scale that we as the global community can put forward. Um, And it it doesn't have to come from, you know, Google or Apple. It can come from our communities um, thinking critically about the issues and and putting forward our own climate solutions. Oh, those are great suggestions. So again, three things that we could all be doing is reducing waste, trying to do at least one walking commute in a commute that we typically drive and just being conscientious about our water use just a little bit less. So those are really helpful points. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. I know a lot of the work that you are doing here at Emory is really award-winning work, and I know you've gotten a lot of you know national recognition for the quality of the work that you're doing and, and the difference that it's making, and it's um, really taking us as a university and as a community to a level where I think that we can hopefully turn around some of um, the culture changes that need to begin to occur for us to, uh, you know, globally um, get where we need to go. So thank you so much for all the work that you do and for joining us today and sharing all this wonderful information. Well, the feeling is mutual. So thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.